0: By the way, if you have not read through the book of Acts, uh, then let me just give you a little quick overview. The book of Acts is the story of Jesus's, well, when Jesus died on the cross and rose again, he started a movement called the church. It wasn't called Christianity yet. That comes out a little bit later in the book, okay? And so it's the story of the birth of the church. And the primary question that they're trying to answer, and when we read the book we're trying to answer, is this question right here. What is the primary responsibility of a Jesus follower? What is a Jesus follower supposed to do? And this is not a trick question because the answer is very, very simple. I mean, this is not a trick question. The the responsibility of a Jesus follower is to follow Jesus. I'm sure you guys got that right. I hope you guys got that right. But let me reword it in a way that would help put everything into perspective for us today, okay? The other way of putting this is that the role of the church is to watch God act. Okay, so what is God doing? and then join in on that. I mean, to follow Jesus is to watch God act and to join in on whatever he's doing. If God is over there doing something, we're supposed to be over there doing that. And if God is over there doing this, you're supposed to go over there and do this. And the whole idea here is that God loves partnership. You know, God could do everything so much better than we can, but he chooses to join in with us to do things. I don't know why he does that. I mean, if you read through the stories in the Old Testament, you'll be like, yeah, this is so frustrating. does isn't God just do it himself? But for some odd reason, he takes delight in working with us, joining hands with us. So um, that's one of the themes of the whole Bible. If you read through the Bible, you'll see examples of God partnering with us. And he's like, look, look what I'm doing, everybody. Come on and join in. That's basically one of the major themes of the Bible. But I feel like the passage we're going over today, I think this passage exemplifies this theme probably the most so let's get started acts chapter 8 we're starting from verse 26 now an angel of the lord said to philip go south to the road the desert road that goes down from jerusalem to gaza so philip is our main character we'll talk about him in a few minutes okay so he started out and on his way he met at ethiopian eunuch that's our secondary character we'll talk about this guy in a few minutes. An important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man, had gone, this man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet, which if you guys have read the book of Isaiah, you know it's not an easy book to understand, right? I, actually, I don't know why I'm saying that because most of you didn't read the book of Isaiah. So don't worry. You, that's not, it's not a prerequisite for today. Okay. I will talk about it, but it's not a prerequisite. The spirit told Philip, Go to that chariot and stay near it. So remember, Philip is now following instructions of what God told him to do. He's standing there and he sees this Ethiopian eunuch. And like he's like, What am I supposed to do? And God's like, just go over there and just hang out with him. Next verse. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading, Philip asked to, which all of us would probably say, I have no clue what I'm reading. And I love it because we could relate to this story because the next verse, how can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. So this is really cool, right? Philip is like, I've been waiting for a moment to preach about the book of Isaiah. And there you are. Uh, this is perfect. I love to teach you stuff. Okay. So this is a passage of scripture the Eunuch was reading. So he gives us the you know, he, he quotes it right here. He, whoever he is, we don't know who he is. As a matter of fact, the Ethiopian eunuch has no idea who this he character is. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. So he's reading this passage from Isaiah. Ethiopian eunuch has no idea who this is talking about. Next verse. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For he... His life was taken from the earth. So in case you're you know, like dying to find out, which I know everybody here is, the Ethiopian eunuch right now is reading Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah 53. So if you want to read that on your own, you can, but he quoted it for you here so you don't have to. Okay. In order to understand Isaiah 53, there's a whole context. If you were to just, if you're like the Ethiopian eunuch and you just have the scroll of Isaiah, you read it and you're like, I have no idea what this is talking about. Like, what is this, like, what's the context? So what I'm guessing Philip did here is that he said this book, this scroll, well, they didn't have books, it was called Scrolls back then. This scroll called the Scroll of Isaiah the Prophet is a part of a collection of books, so you have to understand what happens before. So I'm going to give you a quick context summary of what's happened before, okay? So if you go all the way back to the, go all the, way back to the book of Genesis, you'll find out that God created humanity, it was all good, but humanity starts to fall apart because humanity rebels against God, okay? And maybe you guys are familiar with that story. And so after seeing that the world is falling apart and humanity is killing each other, murdering each other, you know, they're they're just not doing a good job of taking care of one another, God decides he's going to fix it, but he doesn't want to fix it by himself because remember who God is. God likes to partner with each other, right, with other people. So what does he do? The second thing we need to know is that God wants to partner with Israel to fix humanity. He said, Abraham, can we work with you? Oh, you're gonna have you have a wife oh, okay okay and you're gonna have a lot of kids okay this is awesome we're gonna create a nation called israel we're gonna to work together to fix the whole world now that's that's the premise all the way from genesis all the way to uh chapter 12-ish okay but then something bad happens because israel they start feeling like you know what if god chose us but not those people over there there must be something special about us as a matter of fact we have god and they don't so we're extra special for that reason And so israel starts feeling like they're better than everybody else israel starts feeling like well we have the laws we have moses we're better than every you know so eventually they get so big-headed that they start to become rebellious they start to rebel against god when god says i want you to move over here and do this and help these group of people well the people of israel the jews they're like no we have our own plans and you know what if you don't have us, God, then you have nothing. So we got you where we want you. We're going to do what we want to do and you have to follow with what we tell you that we're going to do. And God said, you know, I don't have to use you. And then the people of Israel are like, yeah, yeah, I don't think you're going to do that. We are your children. If you destroy us, God, your reputation goes down the drain with like, we're known as the people of God. If you destroy us, your reputation goes too. So nah, nah, nah. Like, that's basically like half of the Old Testament right there. Okay, and, and so God is like, well, are you, gonna, you want me to call, call the bluff? I, I could totally do that, right? So there's this c- contention that's happening, and eventually Israel is invaded and destroyed by these surrounding barbaric, like the Babylonians and the, the Assyrians and the Persians. They come and invade, take over their people, and now Israel's in ruin. And after that, God says, he sends these prophets and says, guys, I didn't destroy you for the sake of destroying you. It was kind of like a timeout. I I, I wanted to teach you a lesson so that one day you could stand right up and go and help the communities around you. There's so many people who are lost. We think we we could make this work. God is like, I'm giving you a second chance. This was a temporary timeout. So God, next, sends prophets to rescue Israel. But when these prophets show up, something really interesting happens. So God calls these people like, you know, Jeremiah, Isaiah, we're reading right now, um, Daniel, uh, Obadiah, you know, all these prophets in the Old Testament, they show up at the doorstep of Israel and says, guys, God is not finished with you yet. And they say, oh, yes, he is. He doesn't care about us. He doesn't love us. And they're like, no, 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 you don't understand. I'm a prophet of God. I'm here to tell you that everything's going to be okay. But they refuse to listen to these prophets. And so what do they do? Israel murders the prophets. And that's basically the Old Testament in a nutshell, so you don't have to read it now, okay? <laughs> so it's in that context that we need to read that Isaiah 53 passage that the Ethiopian eunuch was reading. So let's continue with the Acts story. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Like, is Isaiah, when he wrote this, is Isaiah talking about himself? You know, this character who is persecuted and, and you know, um, and he doesn't complain as he's being persecuted. It, Is Isaiah talking about himself, or are we talking about somebody else? That there's going to be a person that's going to come that's going to fix everything. The relationship between Israel and God, God and the whole world. Is there going to be this person that's going to come? Is is he talking about somebody else? Because if he is talking about himself, then this must have taken place hundreds of years ago. Because the book of Isaiah was written a long time ago, before the time of the eunuch. Or should we expect somebody to come? So Philip is like, oh, this is great. I can't wait to answer that question. Next verse. Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Like, you know who this person is talking about? Yes, it is in the past because this happened like a few months ago. We're talking about Jesus. He was the one that Isaiah was prophesying about. The person that's going to come and fix everything, that was Jesus. Now, notice in this verse it says Philip began with that very passage, meaning he started Ephesians, uh, um, Isaiah 53, they went to 54, 55, 56. He was like, let's keep reading together and see what we also learn about this. Okay, now, when you hear this story in the book of Acts, you're kind of like, okay, that's great. You know, why, why is this included in here? It's a story about a guy named Philip who shows up and meets this Ethiopian eunuch and they have a Bible study together. Yeah, like, really, not much has, has happened. That, is that why you're putting this in here? Because there isn't much to write about? Like, no, 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 no. Something revolutionary is happening in this scene, and we fail to see it because we're so far removed from the story. Okay, so the very part of this story that's supposed to catch our eye is this right here. The Ethiopian eunuch we're talking about an Ethiopian eunuch. What's the big deal of the Ethiopian eunuch? Because and we kind of read through it and say, oh, great, okay, Ethiopian eunuch, he's, that's interesting. But in the Jewish culture, everything about this Ethiopian eunuch screams, you will never belong to our community. You will never be one of us. And so I want to break this down. First, I want to start with this first word right here, Ethiopian. Okay, the fact that he's Ethiopian is revolutionary. So I'll, I'll, I'll give you a little context on that, okay? Because remember, Ethiopian means that he's from Africa. He is a foreigner. He doesn't belong to the community that Philip's a part of. So let me set the scene for you guys so you understand the big deal about the fact that he's Ethiopian here, okay? So as you guys know, the whole Jesus movement started with Jesus. Okay, that's not a trick question either. Uh, you know. <laughs> Jesus started the Jesus movement, okay? He's walking around this earth. He's the son of God. he sent to this earth to, to save humanity, right? He's walking around, looking around. He's like, oh, look, there's a person that's an outcast. I'm going to reach out to her. Oh, there's an outcast. I'm going to reach out to him. Oh, that person's labeled as a sinner. I'm going to go help that person. I'm going to let the whole world know that these people are not outcasts. They are part of our community. They are part of us. They are family. And as he did this, he had 12 followers. We call them the 12 disciples. And after Jesus died and rose again, they had a little, like, PR thing. I guess they changed their names from the 12 disciples to 12 apostles, okay? Now, who are the 12 apostles? What identity do they have? Well, these 12 apostles are men who are also Jews. All of them are Jews. Jesus comes to this earth, and he pours into 12 Jews, Uh, this Thousands of people he poured into, but primarily 12 Jews. And now Jesus dies. He rises again. Rises. Roses again. Rises again. And then he, uh, he you know teaches them. And then he takes off. He's gone. Right. And now we're left with the 12 apostles. And as the church is starting to grow, he finds out. They they find out. The 12 of them find out that that there is these women. They're called Hellenistic Jews. They're basically women who are Jews by blood, but they don't live in Israel. And they're not being taken care of. And the apostles are like, we want to help, but we're too busy. There's so much to do in this church. Uh, we need to find somebody. So women, go ahead and find seven leaders that's going to take care of you in the church. And, and we'll give them authority over the church to do, you know, do what they have to do. So that the, the, these women are like, okay, well, we've got to find seven men that are also Hellenistic Jews. So, so from the 12 apostles, now we have seven additional leaders called the seven deacons. And these seven deacons... I like to call are foreign jews they're jewish people by blood but they live outside of israel they happen to be in jerusalem at the time this happened so they're like hey you know the leader of this group of people called deacons is stephen and one day he's killed the people who want to persecute the church kill stephen and so everybody scatters and one of the other deacons his name is philip which we're talking about today he escapes and runs into a place called Samaria where it's populated with people called Samaritans. And now these Samaritans, okay, who are the Samaritans? Samaritans in their history a long time ago, they were Jewish, right? But the Syrians invaded and took the women and, you know, they, they got together and now there's half-breed. So these people over here that Philip is talking to are half-Jews. So look at the pattern here. We went from all-Jewish to Jewish people who are outside of the country to have, like, mixed-breed Jews. And now today we're talking about the Ethiopian eunuch, which is a non-Jew. Do you see how God is moving here? God started with the Jews to the Jews who don't live in the country to people who are half-breed Jews to people who are non-Jews. God is moving in this expansive way. Now, if you only read today's passage by itself, you would totally miss this. If you read through the whole book of Acts, you'll be like, oh, I see what God is doing here, right? So remember the theme today. The theme today is to watch God act and join in. So what I want you to know today is this, that God is moving beyond racial walls in this passage. He's breaking down walls. And so what is the role of the church? The role of the church is... Is the church is expected to join in on embracing Gentiles. Gentiles are people who are not Jews. He's, so Philip is checking this whole situation out. He's like, "Wow! Before me in history, God is moving in this out expansive way, and here I am in front of somebody. This might be the first African to hear about Jesus." And looking at the pattern before, he's like, "It just makes sense for me to break this barrier and talk to this Ethiopian eunuch." So we talked about the Ethiopian eunuch. This is a huge deal. Because this is the first time, I mean, remember, Philip is a Jew. I mean, he lives outside of the country, but he's a Jew, okay? And he's saying, it's time that I break these, these cultural barriers and go talk to somebody who is not like me. But the bigger issue here, and by the way, this is where it gets very controversial, is the word eunuch. And I want to talk about the idea of eunuch for a second. If you are a Jew, which Philip was, being a eunuch was a big issue. No, no. Like I mean even today I guess some of you are like I don't want to be a eunuch, right? But the reason why in the Jewish culture you don't want to be a eunuch is because there is a verse that talks about being a eunuch and it's not seen favorably. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 23. No one, and absolutely no one, no exceptions to the rule, no one who has been emasculated by crushing or cutting and in other translations they actually tell you what they're emasculating, uh, what they're crushing and cutting but in the NIV version, what we're using today, they took that word out because it might get too rated R. (coughs) Uh, May enter the assembly of the Lord. (coughs) Excuse me. If you are a eunuch, you will never, ever belong to the kingdom of God. You cannot worship with us. You cannot enter through the doors of, of church or back in this case, it would be a temple or a tabernacle. You will never be a part of us. Now, here's the interesting thing. Today, the eunuch is reading through the scroll of Isaiah the prophet. And I said that he started in chapter 52. And then Philip is walking him through each chapter after that. When he gets to chapter 56, the prophet speaks these words. Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, The Lord will surely exclude me from his people. Like the Ethiopian. There will come a day where being an Ethiopian would not be a barrier to being a part of the family of God. And then it says, And let no eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. He doesn't stop there. Next verse. For this is what the Lord says. To them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than the sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. The prophet Isaiah is saying there's going to come a day one day where God is going to directly contradict his own words. I know that sounds very controversial. In Deuteronomy, God says, if you're a eunuch, sorry, you, you cannot pass these walls. You cannot come in here. You're not, you are not going to be part of us. But then Isaiah says, but there's going to come a day in the future when God's going to directly contradict what he said in the book of Deuteronomy. A day when if you're a eunuch, you will not be recognized as somebody that's an outsider, but you will be part of us. As a matter of fact, in this verse it says, you'll be known even greater than the sons and daughters, greater than a Jew. So I'm sure, like, the Ethiopian eunuch is reading through this, and it's like, oh my goodness, what's going on here? Like, are you serious? Like, like the eunuch is, like, in goosebumps. Like, I thought my entire life that I could never be a part of God's family. But you're telling me that day is going to come? And Philip is like giddy. He's like, <laughs> actually, it's, it's already here. That day is now. If you've seen the way that God has been working, you could totally tell that God is doing something big here. Now, the question stands, though. Why would God say one thing in the book of Deuteronomy and change his mind about the future in the book of Isaiah? Well, the reason of that is, is uh, well, you have to look at it not as, uh, you have to look at it more like in a timeline fashion. So when God gave the command to to the israelites in the book of deuteronomy god was meeting them where they were these people back then were like like god chose us to go and do amazing things in this world oh what's that it's going to be all inclusive oh no thank you so god had to meet them where they were like okay guys right now it's all about you and from you we're going to expand but right now it's all about you okay and in the future we might change but right now you know it's all about you right and then he gradually, God gradually widened their embrace with each generation after that. Okay, now that you've figured out that how much I love you, you know, Jew, uh, now we're going to expand it to these group of people. And now we're going to expand it to these people and these people. So God was actually starting this movement, starting with one specific group of people. But these people made the mistake of thinking that it was all about them and that was it. So anyways, going back to the story of Acts. As they travel along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here's water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? What's holding me back? Like, before, there were so many things that held me back from getting baptized, from being a part of this community. In the past, I mean, if, the, if a eunuch is telling Philip, are there any reasons why I can't just jump in that water and become part of your, your have you as part of my spiritual family? Philip could have easily said, "Well, Deuteronomy, uh, there's other reasons I could think of, right?" But he says, "No, no, no, no. All those reasons are now washed away. You are now part of our family. I can't think of anything. You want to join the new creation, the new humanity? Le- I can't think of any reason why you can't, why you can't be a spiritual brother of mine." So next verse. And and he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. If the conservative Jewish people at that time heard what Philip did, they would be up in arms. They would be like, what did you do, Philip? You let who into our exclusive club? And then Philip is probably thinking this. Guys, have you not seen the patterns of how God's been moving for the past generation? This is what's going on through his mind. It's from the Jews to the foreign Jews to the mixed Jews to the non-Jews. Can't you tell that there is a pattern right now? I'm just playing along with what God is doing. Are you guys following what God is doing? Or am I the only one that's doing it? This is what Philip is thinking. And so he's trying to think, you know, in the past, it was always about the exclusion of blank, exclusion of women, exclusion of sinners, exclusion of prostitutes, tax collectors, exclusion of foreigners, exclusion of of eunuchs, uh, the sick. Think of you could, whatever you think, you know, it was exclusion of something, and he says, but now we're in a time of inclusion, the inclusion of women, inclusion of sinners, inclusion of processes, inclusion of people who were deemed outsiders because of the Old Testament laws. In his mind, he's thinking, if the old law tells us this, we can't do this, and Jesus says we can do this, which one am I going to choose? And Philip says, every single time, I'm going to pick Jesus every single time they pick Jesus. But I read in the Old Testament that you can't, no, no, I follow Jesus. Jesus says that these people are part of our family, so, and that's how God's moving. I'm going to invite that person into my family. And, but in the Old Testament, it says this is a sin. I understand. And that's what the Bible says. I get it. But Jesus showed up and told us something else. Jesus said that, Maybe those things were labeled a certain way in the Old Testament, not to exclude people, but just to let people know maybe we should be living a certain way because that way was destructive. Maybe the Old Testament laws weren't there to say us versus them. Maybe the Old Testament laws were there for our own good, but not to, to, to divide communities. In other words, and this is the main point here, in the past, God's people were defined by the walls they built. Who's in, who's out? Now, God's people are defined by the walls they tear down. Before the death of Jesus, we live by this. After his death and resurrection, we have this thing called a new covenant. In the new covenant, we live by this, by tearing down walls. So I have to ask you what are the walls that we have built for ourselves? That separates us from the people around us. The music they listen to, the way they dress. Maybe they're from a different generation. Maybe you don't agree with the decisions they made in their lives. And because of that, you're like, they don't belong in the family of God. Maybe it's somebody's lifestyle. You're like, I don't agree with that person's lifestyle. They don't belong in the family of God. No, no, no. If you are a Jesus follower, and if you've been paying attention to the way that God's been moving, you'll definitely see that God is in the business of tearing down walls now. If you read through the New Testament, you'll totally see Jesus trying to tear down walls wherever he is. Oh, this person has a scarlet letter because this person was caught in the the act of adultery? He reaches his hand out and says, well, you could be a part of my family. Oh, you've been shunned by your community because you betrayed them because you're a tax collector? Come follow me. Oh, you're (laughs) demon-possessed? Come follow me. Jesus is all about tearing down walls. And the biggest form, form of dis- demonstration of Jesus tearing down walls is when he died on the cross. When Jesus was went, went to the cross, well, right before he went to the cross, he basically told his, his disciples what he was about to do. And he said, guys, this is what I'm going to do. My body's going to be broken and I'm going to spill a lot of blood on the cross. But I want you to remember that when you see my body break, it's because I love you. And in one of the gospel writers, biographies of Jesus, they basically describe it like this: When Jesus died on the cross and broke his body, at the temple, the, the veil was torn. There was this big thick layer of, of, of like a big curtain between the place where they believed God's whole like concentration of presence was and the rest of the world. And it says, when Jesus' body was broken, that veil was torn, and now there were no more barriers. There's no more, there's nothing that separated us and them anymore. And he said, and when you see the buddy my blood spill, I want you to remember that blood represents the new covenant. Not the covenant where we separate between us and them. Not the kind of covenant where um, you label people by the worst mistakes they've ever made. But no, we're going to live in a time where we break down walls. We include people regardless of their worst mistakes. What I find interesting here is the eunuch didn't make a mistake. The eunuch was put in a situation where he was emasculated. If you don't understand and if you don't, aren't familiar with the eunuch culture, which I'm not an expert on by any means, my understanding is when there's a queen and there's a man who has to serve in her, her inner circle, in order to protect the queen from men that might take advantage of her, they castrate them, you know. And, and the eunuch is like, well, I'm sorry, like, I, I was just chosen to be that way. I, I, there's no way that I could control that. You know, when Jesus came around and he's like, oh, you're outcast because you're, you're, you're paralytic, he heals them, and it's like, now that you're healed, you can join the family. What Philip does here is that he can't do anything to undo the thing that was done to Philip. It's not like now that you're whole again, you can come join the family. No, it's like, even in the way that you are, without changing a thing about who you are, you can be a part of our family. So today we're going to take communion, because I believe communion is is the greatest demonstration of, it's the greatest ritual that demonstrates this inclusiveness of Jesus. When Jesus died on the cross, he said, and and Jesus talked about this, he said, when you see my body break, eat this bread because this bread represents my body that's been broken for you. And this body that's broken for you is a demonstration of the veil being torn that there's no more us versus them. And when he said, and when he, when he drink this juice, or he said wine, but we're using juice today, I want you to think of the new covenant that I'm ushering in. We're no longer about building up walls. We're going to be all about tearing down walls.